era salita in camera di un nostro cliente. Prima di lei ci sono state tre vittime. Tutte prostitute. Che cosa si ricorda? Ha detto che è stata inseguita in macchina. mi ti renderà autonoma. Che cosa vedi? Una ragazza che corre con le cuffie, un furgone bianco passeggiato. Cosa? Un furgone bianco passeggiato. L'unico sopravvissuto è il bambino di 10 anni che si trova in un istituto d'accoglienza. Posso aiutarti? È il furgone bianco! Hanno ammazzato due poliziotti davanti a casa tua. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts in this final week of October. I am Mike, and joining me as always, it's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? How's it going? Greetings and salutations, sex workers. Yeah, I'm doing pretty well, Mike. And I know Mike is a big sex worker, too, so I'm speaking directly to him. So, yeah. Hey, aren't you supposed to be paid to get a sex, be a sex worker? <laughs> He's pro bono. <laughs> <laughs> I'm paid with the enrichment and fulfillment that it gives me. He's uh, paid with exposure. No money necessary. <laughs> yeah. Hey, exposure and more weight. Uh, <laughs> all right. If you don't recognize the other voice on the cast, it's Don and Nelly. What's up, Don? How's it going? Yeah, uh, doing pretty good. Uh, great to be here. All right. Well, uh, so we did have this week in October where there was not a theatrical release. So uh, we actually had like plenty of VOD to cover. That wasn't really an issue. It was more narrowing it down. What did we want to actually uh, talk about? So a few movies came up, probably one that we might be doing in a couple weeks. But for now, we went with... Dark Glasses, which is currently on Shudder. Uh, big return for writer and probably more famously known director, uh, Dario Argento. Yes, a huge name in the genre is back for the better. I don't know. We'll find out shortly, I guess. So the synopsis for Dark Glasses is as follows. Diana, a young woman who lost her sight, finds a guide in a Chinese boy named Chin. Together, they will track down a dangerous killer through the darkness of Italy. All right, so we're going to get into our general thoughts, I guess, on Dark Glasses. So, Venom, what did you think of Dark Glasses? Okay, first and foremost, 
if this movie was directed by any other director, I would give it a much more positive review. But you have to realize when you attach the name of an absolute master of horror and suspense onto a film, there's going to be certain expectations. Now, I always say I don't play the expectation game. I try to go into every movie as dark as possible with as few expectations as possible. But, you know, with a name like Argento, it's kind of hard to not expect at least a little something. And when we had decided to talk about this movie, I was really, really looking forward to being able to tell people that, you know, Argento is back and he is back in form. Unfortunately, my friends, I cannot say that. Um, This film isn't bad. Let's start right from the beginning. I don't think it's bad. Um, For the first two acts of this film, I was actually thoroughly intrigued. I was engaged. Um, Despite the attitude of our main character, I thought, you know, she was still... It still felt organic based on the fact that she's a sex worker. She has to be kind of standoffish. She has to be kind of a bitch at times. So, you know, that element of her personality didn't bother me that much. It made sense. This movie goes completely off the rails in the third act, in my opinion. Like, I'm on board throughout this entire movie. I'm loving the cinematography. The score, of course, that's the one thing that we can kind of go without saying. The score was great. I I absolutely love the score. It's not like, you know, a classic Deep Red or, you know, Suspiria Goblin score by any stretch. But, you know, we still got the um, a lot of the beats that we are familiar with from Argento movies. But I got to say, man, as a giallo, this movie just I didn't like it much as a giallo. It, it almost leans towards slasher a little bit more, a little bit more towards like an American style slasher as, a, as opposed to a giallo. Like I said, the movie only has one goddamn red herring. I mean, literally, there's only one red herring in the whole fucking movie. And that's the killer. So it's like there's not a whole lot of mystery. There's not a whole lot of suspense. We never get any explanation of this killer, his motivations, his past. Um, I don't even think we get his name, honestly. So it's just it's one of those things that it's so ambiguous and vague that you just kind of you got to hope that the visuals are enough to entertain you. And like I said, early in the film, I was really into the cinematography. Rome, of course, looks beautiful. Argento knows how to shoot Italy. So that goes without saying. But. Once we get to the third act and the final chase sequence, which was completely at night, all in the dark, out in the woods, I completely lose this movie. It just I, it loses me. Um, I, I I don't know how spoilery we want to get with our general thoughts, but yeah, I, I've got some major complaints about most of the characters in this movie come the third act because. Um, and when it comes to character motivations and decisions, I didn't even really have a major problem for the first two acts. I thought all the characters, like I said, were organic. They made the decisions that any normal human being would make. But then come the third act, it seems like everybody took a stupid pill. And I'm talking both sides of the fence, protagonist and antagonist. Just for some reason, they all took stupid pills right before the start of the third act. And it just ruins all the goodwill that was, you know, that was made for me, at least in the first two acts. Like I said, interesting story, interesting characters, good gore. I mean, you know, the very first kill in the movie is nice and bloody. We get a really cool uh, car accident with some, you know, nice aftermath shots. There's there's legitimate blood and gore in here, but as I've said, and I'll probably repeat this ad nauseum for this episode, the third act just completely loses me. I'm screaming at my television, at the main character, for how much of a fucking idiot she's acting like in the third act. And uh, again, you know, it's a woman who's newly blind, so I understand she's still kind of getting, you know, the the new 
her new fit into this world and, you know, how she can traverse this world and everything else with the loss of her, her the recent loss of her sight. But, man, it, it's just really hard for me to um, say ultra positive things about this movie. It's like as the acts kept going, it just I got diminished returns from the first act to the second act to the third act. And that's really too bad because. Argento's third acts, I mean, Jesus, the third act of Suspiria is one of the greatest third acts of all time, of all of horror, you know, history. But yeah, unfortunately, this is a middle of the road movie that if it was done by anybody but Argento, like if this was a first time director, I would probably be praising it a little bit more. I would still be pointing out the same mistakes, but I would be optimistic that a first time director would learn from their mistakes. This is Argento. This is a man that's made countless movies, so... You know, I can't really say that I'm excited that Argento's back in our genre, and I'm I'm not necessarily looking forward to what he does next. But fingers crossed that it's more entertaining than Dark Glasses. Okay, um, I will kick it over to Don. What did you think of Dark Glasses? Uh, so earlier this year, uh, one of the episodes of uh, my show, the Horror Countdown podcast, uh, did uh, the first director retrospective on Dario Argento. I'm pleased to say that episode is now considered moot because this would have made my list had it been eligible for inclusion at the time of recording. I I had a blast with this. Now, I, I, I will say Venom is 100% correct. I do think that this fails as a giallo more than anything, and I think that's its main complaints. The central mystery here for the killer is non-existent. Uh, we have two police investigation sequences for a giallo that is absolutely... Uh, in, I, I, I can't even think of the proper term. I think it is uh, incomprehensible, is close <laughs> enough. Uh you know, there's no investigation into who this maniac actually is. There's no motivation. There's, you know, as Venom said, there's no name. So, you know, yeah, okay, you got a killer going around stalking people, but then he never really makes much of an effort to invest himself into her life to sort of throw her off the track. And that's, you know, more traditional giallo tropes, you know, bringing the, you know, that so-called, uh, you know, I, I think the the proper term is an amateur detective into uh, into the proceedings because there's you know there's none of that that goes on in here. I think that's pretty much where it fails. Um, I think the third act is a little bit less than where it came from the first two acts, but I, I was still invested in this. I, I still really like the setup here. I do like the relationship that forms between um, her and the kid. I, I do like, uh, you know, Asia finally getting a role where she doesn't show her tits in her father's film. So, <laughs> so the, yeah, that was kind of a uh, fun little uh, fun little side note there. I, I, I'm kind of struggling where Venom falls with these stupid characters because I, I understand the need to keep the film going and... Uh, I, I, I see where the, the point comes in. It especially comes in in the third act. And one scene in particular, why the fuck are you giving a blind person a gun? <laughs> why is the blind person holding a gun? You know, <sighs> so good. That, uh, to me, I can, that was probably the one sequence that really just stood out to me. It's like, okay, you hold the damn thing, squeeze the trigger. I'll aim it for you. You know, 
I, I mean, there's no real reason for that to. I, 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 we'll, we'll get to it, but yeah, that was kind of uh, the one real scene where I, I kind of really felt like character stupidity. Um, I, I can't say that the the action unfolded to a degree that I liked, but I, I still enjoyed it enough. Uh, you know, some great deaths, uh, you know, a fun little uh, send off at the end. And uh, generally I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I mean, you know, is it deep red? No. Is it tenebrae? No. Is it bird with a crystal plumage or four flies on gray velvet? No. But I would probably say this is a step below opera. Um, Mm -hmm. I think opera was like the best film, you know, his last good film. I think this one's his best film since then. So yeah. uh, You know, welcome back Dario, you know, Fantastic work. Uh, maybe employ a little bit more traditional geolotropes next time, but yeah, this was a sight for sore eyes. Uh, I, I absolutely enjoyed it. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I'm honestly still trying to figure out because I actually kind of agree with both of you. Like when I was watching it, my initial reaction just kind of as the movie's going is like, wow, this is actually pretty good. Like it, it definitely feels like, you know, an updated, uh, version of a giallo, like obviously the modern setting, the cinematography. I really did like the score and how it was used. I, I, I agree. I don't necessarily think it's as memorable as like some of the famous ones, like a deep red, but I, I did enjoy it when I heard it kick on. And sometimes it seemed very emphasized in the movie, which I always like in, you know, Italian cinema. Um, I do also think like the first two acts were much better than the conclusion. That's probably where I felt the movie was weakest as well. But I, I mean, I still enjoyed it, and I, I guess uh, I'm guessing out of the three of us, I'm the least like schooled up in Giallo. Like I, I know what Giallo is; I've seen like a good amount of them, but I, I'm not like an encyclopedia on that genre. Um, so maybe that's why I'm giving more charity to this movie as well. Um, but like I, I do see like the obvious flaws in it once it hit the third act, or at least like the flaws that Venom's bringing up which you know i probably took it down a couple notches overall but like i was still kind of happy with it just i don't know maybe i'm giving argento charity just because of where you know the stage he is in his career and it's like what what should i still expect from argento because what he's got a, he's what in his 80s now uh, 82 <laughs> he's the one who decided to make a movie he didn't have to so we're gonna judge it yeah, he's eighty-two. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree. Like, it's like I, I, I definitely think is like, is it one of his like top movies? No, but then I look at like what I've seen this year overall, and I'm like, well, you know, it's not necessarily that much worse than a lot of what I've seen this year uh, <laughs> in a in a lot of ways. But um, yeah, I mean, I I would fall on the side of the I I liked it. It's it's is it a going to be a memorable classic that goes down with his better ones probably not but he does have an extensive menu or resume Mm -hmm. as well um but you know i I guess i'm like i'm very much in the middle because 
not well schooled in even using a gun period uh, anyways yeah so i wouldn't put it in like the top of argento's yeah. classics but i still found myself enjoying it by the end of it even though i think the third act was definitely the the weakest part the fact that we didn't really get any legitimate motivation or backstory because that's sometimes that's like the best part of the giallo is the way they kind of string you along and they purposely like like some of them it's almost to an, uh, an absurd level where they purposely make it seem like literally any character in the movie yep. could be the, the culprit and oh, then you the slowly ones, see yeah. the red hair yeah you slowly see the red herrings fall by the wayside and then the reveal sometimes is like so ridiculous in itself like it was who and they're doing it because of why okay i'll go with it but this one i don't know i mean i'm like did they make it with an american audience in mind and maybe they thought they had to cut that out or is it just there the fact that like, Argento, the 80 year old writer is not the same writer anymore well they know. have to be because it it's far more american in its setup than argento's mm. golden period because if this is Argento in his golden period, the amateur detective angle is far more invaluable to the film's middle acts. Mm -hmm. That's one of the defining characteristics of the genre is the fact that the person who's targeted at the very beginning ends up trying to solve who did it alongside the police. Outside of one interaction that we get, the police are completely non non-existent in the film. Nobody is spending any amount of time trying to figure out who it is. You know, there's only like two sequences where we see that happening and far more, far more of the film is focused on, you know, her relationship with the kid that, you know, that takes far more importance and center stage in the film. That's far more of an American concept rather than what Argento was doing back in the heyday. Because you look at, you know, Four Flies or you look at Cat of Nine Tails or, you know, any of the other films that, you know, not even he made, but, you know, the entire genre pumped up mm -hmm. between 1970 and 1975. That's part and parcel to the formula. Somebody survives an attack, the police prove ineffectual, more attacks occur, the person that survived starts investigating who did it to try to you know, either clear their name or put an end to what's going on, and then it all comes to a head at the very end when it, the last person left standing is revealed to be the killer. That's that, that, that's a formula that served the genre for well over 200 entities between those five years alone. So it's not exactly something that you would see in Argento's prime, he would have employed that kind of a similar mm -hmm. model. And there's shades of it here where we, you know, we see those small little scenes where, you know, at the very beginning, you see the detectives looking over the, the crime scene at the, I think it's a restaurant where the first girls attacked. Or it's that open plaza where they... they no, the hotel, yeah. Yeah, the, the hotel plaza where they're standing around, they're investigating, you know, it's like, okay, well, I saw this one van drive off, you know, do the checks about you know, licensing and, you know, figuring out, you know, where the the van disappeared to. And then they do the second scene at the girl's house where they, you know, take off the, the two officers' bodies. But yeah. outside of those two sequences, there's no police presence at all in the film until, you know, it's too late. So, yeah, yeah. that's completely not even a, a, a prime-era giallo setup. That's a completely American setup. Yeah, I mean, even the recent horror release, Smile, had way more police procedural in it than this movie did. Like, like the, the police procedural scenes from Smile should have been in this movie because they were, you know, mildly interesting. And 
to, to know anything about the killer would have been that much more satisfying. The, the big thing for me on Giallo's is always the ending. It's always the twist, the, the reveal of the killer, what their motivation is, what their relationship is to the, to the final survivor, things like that. Um, you know, obviously we go back to things like deep red, you know, night of a thousand cats, uh, tenebrae, stuff like that. But even, even a subpar giallo, like the killer is on the phone still has a mildly satisfying twist at the end, even though it was a little over the top, it still is mildly satisfying. Whereas this one, there's no satisfaction in the reveal of this killer zero. Um, there's no mystery as to who the killer is. As I've said, it's literally the only red herring in the entire movie. And even the killer's end, it's it's foreshadowed because once you find out what this guy does for a living, it's like, oh, I already know how he's going to die. You know, and that's too bad. I was really hoping that Argento would subvert that expectation like, oh, he didn't die the way I thought he would. Awesome. But no, he dies exactly the way we thought he was going to, uh, you know, about 10, 15 minutes earlier in the movie. So that to me is not Argento. Um, you know, Argento is about great story, great plots, great twists. Um, great killer motivations, things like that. And unfortunately, this just doesn't have it. I mean, this is an American giallo. And and even calling it a giallo, even, even calling it an American giallo is almost an insult. Because, like I said, the giallo elements just aren't there. The great stalking scenes, you know, the black-gloved killer, um, you know, some of the, some of the more... Like, like, this is a movie about a prostitute that has no sex appeal to it. Like, there's no sexiness to this movie. Um, whereas Argento's early movies were very sexy. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know. It kind of, it, it loses yeah. a little bit. Some of that is, I, I feel like some of that is um, an influence of uh, the co-writer Franco Farini. I, Cause he yeah. was the one that came in, in the late eighties and he started doing a lot of the, he started doing like the Tenebrae and I think he uh, did uh, phenomena and opera. And uh, I think he even did a couple of the, made for TV films in the 2000s era after um, Argento came back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause uh, he was the one that did, um, do you like Hitchcock and uh card player? I think, um, I don't know yeah. for sure because I've only seen those films once. So I, I can't say 100%, but I think he, he's not one of the, the stronger co-writers in Argento's career. Cause he was, the, uh, he did a lot of the, the latter era stuff with him. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense, definitely. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> good, good feedback, Mike. <laughs> yeah, you, you guys pretty much uh, said it there. I didn't have really anything to add. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah I, I feel like this was like a stripped-down version. It's almost like you show this to someone who hasn't seen a lot of Giallo, and if they like this as kind of a starting point, it's like, okay, well, let me show you some Argento stuff from like when he was in his prime and he was really churning them out and show you where he emphasizes some different aspects, some different techniques, because, yeah, this one, it it had some of, like, the, the aspects you'd get out of a Giallo, but it didn't really feel full-on. Like, I think, I think it was you, Venom, that said it almost felt like a partially like a slasher with giallo elements in it. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's like the most slasher movie Argento has made. Though I will uh, I, I will agree with Don. It, it's probably his best film since opera. I mean, it's better than The Card Player, and it's way better than stuff like Mother of Tears or yeah, um, yeah. Dracula. Oh, God, Dracula. I don't even want to acknowledge that movie. But anyway, 
I, I, you know, I'll, I'll give them credit for the effort. And as I've already said, and hopefully it doesn't get lost in my review, I did love the first two acts. I genuinely did. I liked the story, loved the relationship between these two. Um, Asia Argento's character, even though we don't see a lot of her, I, you know, I really liked her, her performance, all of it. Um, there's positives here, my friends, but obviously once we get into our spoiler conversation, um, I'll, I'll be talking a lot about the issues I had with the third act that pretty much brings down the movie for me. And there's multiple aspects to it. It's not just one or two things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm pretty much good on my general thoughts. I guess one day they did kind of go by pretty quick as well. It was like a 85 just, minutes. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, it, it had to have either been 90 or less. Cause it went, I'll give him credit for that, because, yeah, Argento, you know, he could have put out a two-and-a-half-hour movie and nobody would question it, you know? But if it would have been the quality of this film, I, I would be ragging on this movie even more. But at least it's 85 minutes. I will say the pacing's great. I had no issues with the pacing. Like, it, it's got a nice, steady pace throughout the movie. You know, not big chunks of action, you know, that are spread out. Everything is just, you know, uh, sparse together really nicely. Um, like I said, it's just the, the third act of the movie just turns into an American slasher and just mm -hmm. completely just bleh. I I, lo I lose interest. Yeah, and I, I will say like there there the few scenes where we did get something gruesome they were well done like the car wreck aftermath. Um, yeah, whole, yeah, uh, was good. I thought I saw Sergio Stivaletti do that, and the, that shouldn't be too much of a shock. Well, I kind of. I, I have a uh, a rebuttal for the effects. I thought the very first kill looked great as far as the kill itself. The aftermath shot looked fucking awful. She looked like she had a triple chin. I mean, did you notice how much prosthetic they put on her neck to show the slice? That was a thin woman. <laughs> and suddenly when she's on the ground with her throat slit, like it literally looks like she's fat. Like she has a fat face. So that was a little bit disappointing, but the kill itself was great. As far as the attacker going after her using the garage, you know, all of that looked awesome. It was just the aftermath. I was a little disappointed in because I even froze the movie and I'm looking at it like Jesus. I mean, her neck grew like eight inches after getting killed, which kind of freaked me out a little bit. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's really the only gripe I have on effects. Um, for, yeah, for the most part, I have no issues with the effects. They all looked pretty good. The final kill looked good. Um, you know, a couple of the ones, you know, and obviously the car accident looks great, but, um, yeah, I just, I had to point out that first kill cause that aftermath shot, I fucking hate it. Uh, if you guys get a chance, just go back and look at it and really eyeball it. It's, and granted, if it was a quicker shot, I wouldn't have noticed, but the problem is that the camera hangs on that shot of the dead prostitute on the ground, basically giving everyone the opportunity to look at the effect and be like, Oh, that doesn't look right. Like if we only saw it for a second, we all would have been fine. Oh, look great. Blah, blah, blah. But I don't know. Maybe that's just me being picky, but yeah, <laughs> again, you know, it's Argento and I'm not going to, I'm not going to rate an Argento movie or I'm not, I'm not going to review an Argento movie the same way I would review like a shot on video gore fest. You know what I mean? There's, there's certain elements um, certain filmmaking prowess that he has that I expect in his movies. And we did get a lot of it here. Don't, I've already said beautiful cinematography, nice shot selection throughout the movie. The dark scenes weren't too dark that you couldn't, you know, you couldn't see anything. Definitely didn't have the Hellraiser effect um, for Don. 
I, you know, I, I had no problems with the score, the performances. I, I, I've, I've watched a couple of reviews since I watched the film earlier today. And yes, there are some people that are kind of panning the performances, specifically of our lead actress, Eliana Pastorelli, Pastorelli, um, who I thought was fine. Cause like I said, she is a high price call girl. She's always going to be on edge. She's always going to be on the defensive. She's not a friendly person by nature. So I thought her performance was fine. I, I never had a problem with her character. In fact, I actually liked her character after a while, especially after she made the decision about chin that she made. I, I thought that was very admirable, something that she absolutely didn't have to do, but she did it and did it willingly. So you know, there is some good writing here. Like I said, I love the first two acts. I was all all on, uh, excuse me, all in for the story, um, where the story was going. Obviously, you know, we kind of knew it was probably not going to end in the city, that it was going to end in the country somewhere, which is exactly what happened. But uh, yeah, man, this third act, uh, I can't wait to get into it. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm pretty good on my general thoughts. All right. Well, Fuck it. Let's get into this third act, my friends. Uh, I'm going right to it because it's the part of the movie that I have the biggest problem with. Throughout this entire movie, uh, Diana, our main character, is making great decisions all throughout the movie. Uh, You know, she's uh, when when the police arrive looking for Chin instantly, as soon as they leave, right after they say we'll be back tonight with a uh, a search warrant, instantly she's like, okay, Chen, we got to get out of here. Let's let's go. Like, she she wasn't wishy-washy about it. She made the decision instantly. Uh, when Chin even showed up at her place the first time, or, or not at her place, but when he followed her home, and, you know, again, she didn't really protest all that much. Obviously, she's also living with the survivor's guilt, you know, because she basically, you know, she killed this kid's father, um, his mother is in a coma, as as far as we know, at this point, and, you know, she's trying to make amends, even though she's lost her sight. Like, like her, her life has completely changed as well, just like Chin's. But despite all the changes in her life, all the adversity, everything that she's dealt with over the last week or so, she still takes this kid in. This, and she has no obligation to do that. So, like I said, I like the characterizations in the film. I liked her. Her decision-making all through the movie felt great. And then we get to the third act, and we get to that final chase. Now, Don has already talked about the gun scene. And this is one of the scenes where I'm absolutely... And I'm screaming more at the kid. I'm not as screaming at her, because she's literally telling Chin to aim for her. She's holding a shotgun, a double-barrel 12-gauge shotgun. And, you know, it's in her hand. She, her finger's on the trigger. And she's asking Chin to help her aim. But it's like, I don't know, like Chin turned mentally challenged at that point because the gun, I mean, she didn't even come close with with the two shots that she had, not even close to hitting the killer. And I'm screaming at Chin at this point. What the fuck, dude? To aim the goddamn gun for her, would you? <laughs> so and, and to Don's point, yes, who gave a blind woman a gun? Oh, uh, there were two men, two other men in that scene who easily could have taken the gun and taken care of the killer with no problem. The fact that these two guys actually had the killer down for a little while, but then but what's funny is that the two guys, the two good Samaritans, if you will, they have the killer on the ground. It looks like they're about to beat the shit out of them, but then the scene goes to black and two minutes later, the killer shows up. So it's like, well, shit, I want to see how the hell he got out of that fight with those two guys. Like, how, how does he beat up two guys? Did he kill him? Did he just knock him out? Like, you know, blah, 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 blah. There's questions there. Minor questions, admittedly. 
But then the chase happens, and this is where I'm just pulling my fucking hair out. My friends, this fucking woman who is newly blind and is knowingly, 100% knowingly being chased by a serial killer. And what does she do? Hello? Is there anybody here? Anybody out there? I need help. Are you fucking joking? (laughs) Why don't you just say, hey, killer, here I am. Come and get me. Can you hear my voice? It doesn't make any fucking sense that she's... And then when she gets to the dam, same fucking thing. She gets into the dam. Hello? Anyone here? The whole third act, the whole chase scene, I'm screaming at this fucking woman. What is wrong with you? No no one but the killer here. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like, what the fuck? And that was my biggest issue, ultimately. That was my just biggest, biggest issue with that third act is just this woman's decision to yell out for chin. It's like, honey, if this kid left you alone, then, you know, go into survival mode. Don't, don't turn into a fucking victim and start yelling and crying and asking for help. It's like, fuck that. I mean, your life is literally in your own hands right now. Fucking defend yourself. Hide. She does arm herself at one point though. I don't know if she really armed herself so much as she gave herself a new walking stick, a new cane. I actually thought she was pulling it off to be a weapon, but no, she just used it as a cane. It could have been a weapon, I guess, had the opportunity arisen. But yeah, I'm just like, what what is wrong with you? Why are you doing this? Like for two acts of this film, you've been a solid character with good motivation, good decision making. And then suddenly you turn mentally challenged once you're being chased. And again, I understand that, you know, the nature of trauma and grief and you know, fear, just, you know, flat out fear makes you do stupid things. Fine. I understand that. But at no point did this woman think, hey, maybe I should shut the fuck up since I can't see the killer coming at me. Maybe I should shut up so that I can actually hear him walking or I don't know. It's just some really, really bad decision making. And. Sorry, folks, I know we skipped about an hour of the movie, but I don't care. Uh, this third act is where I had all of my issues. And then we get to the killer's fucking ranch, or whatever you want to call it, and he he has dogs. So it looks like he raises dogs, but then we find out a little bit later in the scene that he's actually stealing dogs to then resell. But as soon as we get to that fucking ranch and we see all those dogs in the cages, does anybody have a question on how this killer is going to die? <laughs> do we all know he's going to die by dog attack at this point? Yeah. I mean, he yeah. might have did check off. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I just, Oh my God. So, this is, this is where the movie loses it. Like I said, the predictability of its ending, the stupidity of, of both of the protagonists, um, even, even the antagonist a little bit goes stupid in this third act because uh, I don't know. It's just like, he takes way too long to deal with those two old guys on the road, even though he's armed, but he doesn't decide to use his, his weapons. He's just trying to punch these people, which doesn't make sense to me. It's like he gets out of his van. He sees that there are four people in front of him, two males, uh, the woman that he's chasing and the little kid that she's watching over four people. And he still makes the decision to get out of his truck unarmed and start punching uh, the guys on the road. It's like, where is this? Where's this sudden like flash of humanity coming from? Like all through the movie, he's just been wasting people nonchalantly. He took out those, he kills two cops in the middle of the street. Granted it's nighttime. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'm okay with that, but 
literally without even trying to hide the truck, his face, nothing. He's just taken two cops out, um, you know, unceremoniously. And, and as much as I like the scene, I remember thinking, wow, that's some balls right there to literally, you know, come out of your van and face an armed police officer and and then successfully take them both out. Now, granted, the first one he hit with his car or with the van. So I know there's not much challenge there, but I just. I, this this killer was equal parts brave and stupid at times, and and then the ultimate uh, the, the ultimate fucking um, travesty of this film is the fact that we don't even fucking find out who this killer is. We don't get a name, we don't get an occupation, you know, other than he steals dogs and resells them. We don't get any backstory. Literally, the only way that we know this guy is from a scene earlier in the movie where he had already killed four prostitutes and then he comes to see Diana at her house. I don't know if the intention was to kill her right then and there or to case the house so that he can come back later and kill her, you know, more safely. Um, the only thing I could figure is maybe when he got there and realized that she has, that um, Diana has a housekeeper that, that makes another witness, which means he has to kill two people now in a house that he's not familiar with. So maybe he just decided not to, but the point is, is that, when he first arrives at Diana's apartment, she tells him, oh, you stink. Um, I'm going to need you to take a shower or nothing to, <laughs> yeah. nothing's going to happen. And ultimately, I don't think that's that bad a request. I mean, if you're a sex worker, why the hell would you want to smell like or fuck somebody who smells like dog shit? You know, I mean, if you could just wait a half hour and, and your next client is coming and he smells like Dracar Noir, then just wait. You know, I mean, and this girl was a high price call girl, too. This was no streetwalker. She wasn't a hooker. Let's let's get that. She was she mm-hmm. was a call girl. She was one of those girls that like services, you know, powerful businessmen, politicians, things like that. So it just I don't know. Like I said, but but the fact that the only motivation that we get from this killer is that she called him stinky, and ultimately that's not the motivation <laughs> for killing her. Uh, ultimately, yeah. he was already going. I, I personally am a hundred percent convinced he was already going to kill her. Like I said, he was going to her apartment. They had made a liaison. Uh, they made an appointment for a liaison online. They talk about a chat room that they're in. And then, like I said, once she asks the guy to take a shower, he leaves the room for a minute and then comes back. And, you know, he's, he's all pissy. Oh, fuck you, you slut. And then that's it. We never see him again until he's revealed as the killer. So, yeah, that's that's, that's a major that's a major departure, for, at least from a lot of giallos I've seen. Like there there really doesn't seem like any personal stakes in the relationship between murderer and victim. It, it just feels like, Hey, there's just, there's a serial killer out there and he just happened to have hit this person's local area. And they just happened to have an interaction because she's a sex worker and he just decided, okay, you're going to be one of the people I kill. But the, when we find out, you know, or not find out, but when, when it's, uh, when it's revealed or however you would put it, it's just like, okay, but why is he specifically killing her? And to Venom's point, yeah, unless he was just so insulted at uh, asking <laughs> to like make- clean himself up, <laughs> like what well, other re- possible motivation? Well, the thing is, is that remember, he does try to kill her later that night when he tries to chase her down with the van and she ends up getting into the accident that blinds her. So he's just trying to kill her to finish the job. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, that. So I'm saying I, I I don't think that there's 
I, there's more here than what you were saying. Like, you know, the, the whole thing is flimsy, but it, it's still an incredibly very, very, very underwhelming story for someone that actually, that, you know, launched the genre by having intricate, well-laid stories. Exactly. Like, it almost feels like this could have been, like, the, the encounter should have been a side character that related the story to Diana and her being, you know, an accomplice and actually hearing the story and knowing who the killer is, that should have turned the attention to him. Like, he definitely should have killed her at that moment. And, mm-hmm. and that been, like, the instigating incident to draw Diana into the story proper. But, yeah, there, there's still not a whole lot here in terms of, you know, I mean, again, that doesn't even give us, you know, a name. That doesn't give us a proper motivation why he's going around killing prostitutes because, you know, mm. she's the next one in the list of a, of a bunch because, you know, he's already killed multiple people. And, you know, it, it opens with him mur- murdering the woman who comes out of the the hotel. So it's like, you know, we the basic idea of him going around killing prostitutes is already there. And, you know, she's the next one on the list, but she gets away. So he has to go back and try to, you know, he has to go back and finish it. But, yeah, it's still not a very, very strong setup here. It's a serviceable one, but from from Argento, serviceable just doesn't really cut it anymore. Like Venom said, if this is a first-time director, okay, I'll buy it. Mm -hmm. But Argento, yeah, this is still pretty underwhelming. It. I wouldn't mind an extra five to ten minutes getting a little bit more on the guy if we get a an unrated version somewhere down the line. Instead of an, more attack scenes, I, I'd like a little bit more investigation sequences that are gentle drop to, you know, move the pace along, but end up doing a, a greater service by filling in some blank holes in this. Yeah, yeah this definitely feels like something a fan of Argento would make that that wasn't capable of quite capturing the essence of what makes Argento Argento, as opposed to no, this is actually made by Argento. <laughs> well, he gets the technical qualities right, and I think yeah. that's the, the main thing, is that he he gets Argento's technical qualities right, because this thing, I mean, it, it looks amazing, but, yeah, um, the the melding of the technical with the setups and the writing and all of that, that's what made Argento. And the the fact that he the other films that he's made you know from Bird to you know Suspiria and Deep Red and all of the you know the other ones in between all of them were a lot longer so I don't know where if this is like a fan thing like why you would do it like under an hour and a half mm-hmm. so I, I I mean it feels more like an homage to him rather than you know a fan service thing. Because there's still not a whole lot of, you know, the other typical or gentle things. It feels more like it's an homage to a gentle rather than a fan service film. That's that's valid. I mean, as I'm watching it, it felt like a fan film. It felt like just a big Argento fan, you know, um, as Mike said, kind of creating an homage to the man, but falling short on multiple elements of it, <clears throat> which is, like I said, the fact that it is Argento makes it a little disappointing. One thing that none of us have actually brought up, and I have a major question about, what the fuck was up with that cold open? Like, was the solar eclipse just there so that she would put on her glasses and then we get the title of the movie? Like, like I'm sure there's probably a, um, some kind of metaphor there, uh, you know, of the solar eclipse, and maybe I'm just not artistic enough to catch it. But I don't know. Does anybody else have any ideas why there's a solar eclipse at the beginning of this movie? Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, nope. I, I mean, everybody goes blind, you know, including her. So foreshadowing, maybe. Maybe uh, I, I mean, you know, the idea that you know everybody eventually is blinded because you know it, during the eclipse, you you know you put your glasses on to see the eclipse. So like you know you you can't see the truth for what's in front of you unless you're wearing glasses or something. Because the the dark glasses is the title of the film, so. You know, me, you know, she doesn't see the truth until she becomes blind or something. Yeah, maybe something about like the light being shut out because uh, an, an eclipse is a metaphor for her going blind, kind of like what Dawn was saying. Because otherwise, yeah, I don't know why they even show it because it's. <laughs> but then the whole know. thing, if you were going to do that, then she's the one. She's the only one in the crowd that doesn't. If you're gonna, if you're gonna foreshadow it, then then the way you would. Do, you'd set that up is that everybody else is the one that looks up at the eclipse and puts the glasses on, but she just keeps strolling by because she's not bothered by it. You know, it's like, you know, she's un, unimpressed with the eclipse and she's just off to, you know, do her work. So I don't know where I, that doesn't really make as much sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I didn't yeah. catch that. Yeah, like I said, I was trying to figure out where the metaphor was there with that opening scene, because I figured with somebody like Argento, there is a reason. He's not just going to throw a solar eclipse at the beginning of a movie and and take that much loving care to shoot it and make it look that nice if it doesn't have some kind of symbolism in the rest of the movie. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I guess her eyesight is a valid you know way to think about that. You know, the, the fact that it's foreshadowing the loss of her eyesight coming up soon. But I don't know. Uh, it's a little too vague for me, I guess, is all. And I'm usually somebody who likes to dig deep and look at the meaning of, you know, and sometimes over, even overanalyze shit like that. And with this one, I just can't think of anything. (laughs) It's like, I almost, I I may look for an Argento interview to see if he did an interview about this film yet. See if he mentions the solar eclipse, because I'm so curious. It, It does look nice though, for whatever it's worth. It's a nice looking scene. (laughs) <laughs> you get that beautiful shot of Rome right at the start of the film, at which, you know, instantly you're like, oh, yeah, this is Italian. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, but as far yeah, the opening clips, I don't know. I all, That's all I could point to is a metaphor for, like, mm-hmm. your eyesight going and... Maybe, you know, saying, oh, that's going to be the setup of the movie is a woman loses her eyesight. Or, you know, if you were going to carry it on further, you know, you kind of take the setup of a film called Autopsy, where the killer strikes during during an eclipse. Oh, there we go. That's nice. Maybe maybe the the eclipse was just an homage to another movie, you know, that he just likes or that, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to give him more credit than he might actually deserve for this one. But <laughs> I do want to say that I, for the first two acts, I thought this killer was incredibly intelligent. Some of the decisions that he was making were really cool. First and foremost, he paints the van after, uh, after someone witnesses the van pulling away from the first crime scene, which I guess technically was the fourth crime scene. We didn't see the first three, um, but uh, I thought that was a good call. Like literally that same night he takes the van home and he paints it black. So I thought that was pretty cool or white. Yeah, it was black and then he painted it white. So that, that I thought was pretty cool. The other really smart decision that I thought he made was to go after Asia Argento's character first, like, you know, go after the helper, the person who's actually helping the blind person so that the blind person, you know, is a lot more susceptible to the killer 
Um, you know, the only eyes that she has with her is a 10 year old Chinese boy. So, you know, it, it would make her a, a much more, um, you know, hittable target, if you will. Um, so I let, this is what I mean is that multiple characters in this movie make what I, what I feel are really good decisions, but then that all goes out the window in the third act, which is what bothers me. It's like, why is this third act so frantic, so unprepared, you know, for a guy who's been stalking this woman for so long, the whole final scene just felt rushed. And like I said, like he, he didn't even prepare for it. Obviously he had just found out where she was by accident because of chin, you know, calling or thinking that he was calling the police officer, but you know, so yeah, uh, it's a pretty good movie, but it, like I said, it's more than a pretty good movie. Actually. I will say it's a good movie. I'm just saying the third act kind of kills a lot of the goodwill that we get in the first couple of acts. Um, let's see. Uh, I'm looking through my notes here, seeing if there's anything else I want to talk about. Uh, the fake dog didn't really look all that good <laughs> at the end. I mean, yeah. luckily they didn't, it wasn't a full shot. Like all you see are the jaws, but even the jaws alone, you could, you could tell it. It's a puppet being opened and closed. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. uh, again, if you freeze on it, it looks bad. You know, maybe if you're just watching it in a darkened theater or in a darkened living room, it's not going to be as big a deal. Um, and then at the end of the movie, you know, this movie's in Italian, 100% in Italian. But then at the end of the movie, we get a couple of Chinese characters speaking to each other in Chinese, and they don't translate those lines. That bothers me. It's like, it's like as an American, someone who doesn't speak Chinese or Italian, I want all the foreign language in the movie translated. I understand that they were probably throwaway lines. It was probably just Chin just talking to his cousin, shooting the shit you know, talking about going back home to China or Hong Kong or whatever. I'm sorry. I said China, Hong Kong. Um, so uh, I don't know. That bothered me. I, I, I don't like watching a foreign language movie where they don't translate all the language. And like I said, I am completely cognizant of the fact that they're probably just throwaway lines anyway, but it's just a, it's a little nitpick that, you know, pecks at me at the back of my neck that just bugs me every time. So there have been many foreign films that do that, too, where it'll be mainly in one language, but then someone will speak in another language and they won't translate that. That, that kind of irks me. Um, and then the final line of the movie was kind of weird. Um, not weird, but maybe maybe it was supposed to be a, a lot more thought provoking than you know I thought it was. Basically, our character, Diana, she's at the airport. She's saying goodbye to Chin for the last time, and she's there with her dog, uh, Neria, who does save the day, by the way. I kind of skipped over that, but again, you know, we, we all knew the way he was going to die. Basically, her guard dog ends up getting out of one of the cages and uh, saving her, basically tearing out his neck, the killer's yeah, neck. You see, uh, yeah, you see the uh, aforementioned puppet dog. Yeah, exactly. That is our puppet dog. Um, but the very last line of the movie, she basically is she's talking to the dog and she's petting it. And she says, well, you're my only friend now. And then I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. You have never had any friends like this woman didn't have any friends this whole movie. Maybe she had friends, but we weren't privy to them. You know, she doesn't have a conversation with anybody on a phone other than a John that she's going to be meeting. So it's like, why does she feel now she doesn't have any friends where at the beginning of the movie she had she has more friends now than she did at the beginning of the movie because of the dog so i don't know i thought that was a weird line like she's like uh, i don't know like maybe she has like a rose-colored um view of her previous life i don't know if that's maybe the case because 
her life seems fairly empty. Yeah, she lives in a great house. She makes great money. She's a high-priced call girl. Of course, she lives in a great house, but it's not like her housekeeper was her friend. I mean, her, her own fucking housekeeper was calling her a whore from the beginning of the fucking movie. So <laughs> it's not yeah. like she was her friend. And and she didn't, at no point in the film does she talk to any other call girls or really nobody. She is friendly with one of her Johns. Um, uh, one of the one of the guys that she, um, you know, has sex with, um, she does two scenes with him, one before when she still has her sight and then one after when he has, when she's lost her sight. And he seems to actually be kind of a pretty cool guy. Like he doesn't mind that she's blind, blah, blah, blah. He actually kind of finds it kind of like a little kink. So, um, which I think a lot of us would, a lot of us guys would, but I'll leave that for another podcast. But yeah, just overall that last line, I don't know if that's uh unreliable narrator or if I'm missing something. Because because in my opinion, she never had any friends in this movie. <laughs> so I don't know. Kind of maybe I'm reading into it way too much. Maybe it was meant to be a throwaway line and I'm overanalyzing again. But I just as soon as she said it, I'm like, wait a minute, you never had any friends. What the fuck are you talking about? I'm I'm thinking maybe it's more of a reflection of her leaving the industry and trying to adapt to a life outside of it. You know, like the idea of having survived the ordeal has probably has turned her away from that kind of a lifestyle in general. And now she's starting over outside of, you know, being a call girl. And, you know, the dog is the only one that's going to be there for her to, you know, start the new life together. I mean, I wish they would have done something to make that obvious in the movie, because, like I said, uh, I don't know. It, it, like I said, this this whole third act, the beginning to end, this whole act that I have issues with. It's not the worst thing I've ever seen by any stretch, you know, but I don't know. I mean, it, and what's unfortunate, too, the uh, the ultimate biggest unfortunate thing of this whole thing for me personally is that Argento is now the second uh, master of horror to return to the genre this year and put out what I thought was an underwhelming film. Uh, I know a lot of people liked uh, David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future a lot more than I did, but to me, it was pretty lackluster for what we expect from Cronenberg. So this is th- th- 2022 is the year of the underwhelming ho- a master of horror return. I, I really hope Wes Craven doesn't come back from the grave and do a subpar horror movie because that would just be heartbreaking. And maybe a little <laughs> funny. Who knows? Maybe a zombie could make a good movie. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, just this is the second time this year I've been excited about a master of horror coming back to the genre, and it's the second time this year I've been disappointed. So I guess I'll leave it at that. Um. Well, yeah. I'll say this. I'll say this. If it is his final one, I'm thankful that this is not Dracula. Yeah. Hey, I'll, I'll definitely. I'll agree with you there. <laughs> yeah, it could be worse. Like it, it, it's like okay, he didn't go out on a bad movie. He just went out on like a middle of the road movie. He went out on a bad act, <laughs> not even a bad movie, because it's not a bad movie. I've already said it yeah. multiple times. It's not a bad movie. It's a pretty good movie. Um, but yeah, that third act is just so non Argento that it just you know kind of takes me out of it. Yeah. I agree. Yep. Yeah, right. not, not much. Yeah, not much left in my notes. I think I spoke on everything I wanted to speak on. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty much uh, done here too. Uh, I, I mean, like I said, uh, you know, at, at least it's fun to you know see Ozia not go topless in her father's film. 
even with nudity in the film. Yeah, and to actually play like a legit character too, not like not like with some sex pot or something. Like I, I actually yeah. liked her character here. I, that was good. Yeah, yeah, she was almost like the straight character of. <laughs> exactly, of she was the antithesis of uh, Diana. <laughs> yeah, because usually when you're like directed and written by Daria Argento, starring Aja, Argento, you're like, uh oh, here we go. <laughs> well, but, I'm gonna see her boobs again. <laughs> yeah, and she's gonna be doing something very awkward and uncomfortable, considering her dad has the camera point at her. But nope, not this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, that's uh, it for Dark Glasses, but let's find out what we have for our listeners for the rest of October. So, Venom, you're up first. Um, Let's see. The main show, No More Room in Hell, we should be getting together this week sometime to do our annual Halloween commentary. Uh, I won't announce that film. I'll wait till we put the commentary out. But uh, obviously, like we do every year, we pick a Halloween themed horror movie and do, you know, a, a silly little commentary for you. A little added bonus, if you will. Uh, and it's good for us, too, because there's not as much preparation for a commentary. So it helps us out to get an extra episode out that hopefully that gets recorded this week. You know, knock on wood, barring any more scheduling conflicts that should be out. Um, well, it'll be recorded this week, potentially out next week. Um, Creature Comforts, episode 12. I am literally putting the finishing touches on the edit right now, so this will definitely be out before the end of the week. So that is, of course, Creature Comforts, episode 12, where we looked at 2006's Cemetery Gates, the mutant Tasmanian devil movie. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Um, Honestly, I think that's about all I have that's new. I'm still waiting on my Cut to the Chase appearance for uh, Thrills and Chills. And, oh, I do have one guest spot that I just did last night. I completely forgot about. I was on Gary Hill's uh, Patreon podcast. Uh, (laughs) I'm so sorry, but I completely forgot the name of it. It is part of the Cinema Beef family, but it's specifically a Patreon special. So if you are on the Legion Patreon, you will hear Gary Hill and myself review Cemetery Man from 1994. Believe it or not, this was a first-time watch for me. So if you're interested in my thoughts on that, uh, donate a dollar to the Legion Patreon and go check out that episode with Gary Hill. And I, I think at this moment I'm more I'm more uh, interested in knowing how the hell this is your first watch of that. I And I explained that on the uh, – not explained, but I mean I give my silly little excuse that it's just – it's one of those movies that I've always heard great things about um, – I've always heard great things about Rupert Everett in the movie, uh, heard great things about the zombies, everything else, the Grim Reaper, uh, you know, representation that's in the movie. I just never got around to watch it. And it's not an easy movie to find either. Like, um, yes, our friend, our mutual friend's Plex uh, account does have it, but I never ran into it like on a Shutter or, mm-hmm. you know, a Hulu or something like that where where I would have watched it a little bit more readily. So, um so, like I said, when Gary Hill gave me the option of three movies to pick, Cemetery Man was one of them. And since I had never seen it, I was very interested in doing it. And, uh, yeah, if you're interested in my thoughts, which I think you will be, go ahead and check that out. That Check out that episode on Patreon. I, I'm not sure if Gary Hill puts those out eventually anyway or if they stay Patreon exclusives forever. But, I mean, yeah, it's only a dollar. So check it out. <laughs> and I think that's it for me. All right, Don, how about you? Yeah, um, as mentioned, Creature Comforts, uh, look out for that one. 
still waiting to hear back on uh, a couple of guest spots. Uh, I was supposed to have recorded with uh, Cut to the Chase, and uh, I was supposed to have done the um, the uh, Gates of Hell with uh, my uh, friends, the Nightclub podcast, but uh, both of those got pushed back. So I don't know what's uh, going on with those. Um, I, I only found out that those were recently rescheduled uh, recently. So I uh, don't know what's going on there. Um, and uh, only other thing is the uh, first season of Horror Countdown, where you can hear my uh, now obsolete uh, top 10 countdown of Dario Argento was one of the episodes, because uh, this one would have uh, made the list probably number nine or 10, but uh, it definitely would have gotten on there if it uh, would have been available. So go ahead and check out the uh, now incomplete uh, episode <laughs> as well as all the other ones uh, available for uh, just about all of the uh, podcast catchers out there. Uh, go ahead and check that out uh, as we prepare for season two. All right. Yeah. And I did actually forget uh, about one of my shows, but since Mike is on it with me, I'll let him uh, talk about it. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I I assume that what you're referring to is the second episode of the Crystal Lake Gift Shop, yes. uh, which featured a special guest, Lacey Lou, where we talked about another episode of Friday the 13th. Series. I believe the episode was called The Poison Pen. And uh, yeah, fun episode to talk about. Fun time Damn with fun Lacey. Episode. And, I, I, yeah, I think, man, the, I think the discussion was more fun than the episode. Uh, the, the episode of the Friday the Thirteenth, yeah, <laughs> which is which is not surprising when it comes to these shows. Um, <laughs> you know, regardless of what you think overall, sometimes that'll just happen. I, I, I'm honestly because I'm doing Tales from the Crypt for my 31 day challenge, and I'm even finding like there's many more episodes than I remember that are just kind of like okay, like yeah, yeah. like the good ones are great. Don't get me wrong. But I was so young when it originally aired that I probably just loved everything because I was a little kid. And now I'm like, huh, there's like actually stretches of the show where I'm like, wow, these are not the I don't know if it's the stories just don't make good adaptions for that half hour medium or if it's just like they didn't adapt them well or what. But um, yeah, overall, just, still a very good show. But, you know, you're just a more savvy viewer now than you were when they first aired. <laughs> Yeah, true. True that. Or I'm just old and jaded, one of the two. Maybe a combo of both. Oh, yeah, we're all crotchety. Oh, yeah, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that's it. I'm kind of in a similar boat with Venom. I, I think we'll be doing uh, Thrills and Chills sometime uh, soon. And then commentary. Looks like we have a date scheduled for that, so we'll be getting that in time for Halloween. And then main show should return in November. I think it just came down to like a really super busy October with other things going on. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's always the, even though it is the main show, it's always the hardest put together because it's the one we do more than just straight up talk about a movie on. So there's a little more to get yeah. organized and prepared for. And it's a bigger chunk of time you have to reserve to get it done. Um, but uh, so we have an interesting situation for this next coming up episode because no, we, we usually okay well <laughs> I was gonna say we usually record on Mondays but next Monday's Halloween so we're not recording oh that, so we'll just that. To... we've recorded on different days before I thought you were talking about the uh, conflict with which movie <laughs> what do you what do you think we're gonna do next week or next well, episode I, next week uh, should I say this coming week we actually do have a theatrical release. 
in theaters, but I'm pretty sure that we all decided to kind of pass on that for another Shutter release. That'd that be actually, my vote. Yeah, yeah, that'd definitely be my vote. I just wasn't sure if you guys were 100 percent on board yet, or if we were still. I mean, I'm going to go. I suggested it. Yeah, I was the one that suggested we skip it. Exactly. You were the one that couldn't even. You were trying to tell us on what movie it was, and you couldn't even remember the title. So it's like if you if it's not important enough to remember what films in the theaters, I'm not going to give a shit about trying to watch it. See, I myself am a gigantic exorcism fan. Anything with demonic possession, it's it's literally like one of my favorite subgenres. So even a subpar exorcism movie, I'm still mildly interested in. So I'm still going to watch it, even if we don't review it. This week. Same here. I mean, yeah, I, my, my thing was that if, you know, Mike can't even remember the film to sell us on watching it, why am I going to be go out of my way to watch it? Yeah, that's valid. I wonder if Mike remembers his anniversary. <laughs> oh, yeah. Are you one of those husbands who has to be I'm reminded? I'm not even sure Mike remembers he's married. <laughs> what are these two little kids running around my house? Oh. <laughs> who the hell are you and why did you pump out these kids six years ago? <laughs> So did uh, we even say what the movie's going to be that we're doing? Oh, fuck that. Folks, VHS 94 was in my top five for last year. So, of course, we're doing VHS 99. I actually wanted to do it this week, but I got outvoted. So, no big deal. I'm I'm very okay with watching uh, an Argento film. But, uh, yeah, VHS 99, I've got a major heart on for VHS 99 right now. I haven't watched it yet. I will be watching it multiple times this week especially since found footage is my theme for my October watches. So I can go ahead and watch it a couple of times anyway, and it still fits my theme. So yeah, I'm very excited to talk about VHS 99. Again, I'm trying to curb my expectations because VHS 94 was fucking spectacular. Um, So, you know, fingers crossed that we get something comparable to that and that they never return to the realm of uh, VHS viral. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, then it is settled, so we will be back probably either in less than a week's time or a little over a week's time, just depending on when we Mm -hmm. find a time to record it with a discussion on VHS 99. So until then, thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, I will say happy Halloween now because even if we record before Halloween, it's probably not going to be up till shortly after Halloween. So hopefully everybody has a great holiday. We... It's, I mean, if you're listening to this, we're probably in this last week of October. So this is like, I don't know about everyone else. This is when I pull out like all the bangers off my movie shelf to watch. I kind of save like the best. Yeah, you know, same or, here. At, at least the ones I'm, I, I, the ones I'm most excited to watch. I mean, there are some yeah, good movies kind of, I watched yeah, earlier, that's, but yeah, that's the way I am. I, my general watch philosophy is, yeah, you're an hour and ten minutes. I don't give a shit. You're good enough. And now it's yeah, like. Yeah. Okay, yeah, now let's settle in and let's get uh, cracking. <laughs> mm-hmm. One thing I will say is that 2022 will be the first year in, what, close to 40 years that I do not watch Halloween 78 this month. Ooh. I am just so Michael myers out. I can't fucking look at him anymore. I don't care how good the movie is. I just, I can't look at it. I'm not saying that the, the recent trilogy ruined Halloween 78. Not at all. Halloween 78 is a fucking masterpiece. I have no problem admitting that. I just am all Michael myers out. I don't need to watch him anymore this year. I'll return to it next year. But yeah, I, it's not hyperbole. Literally over 40 years uh, that I watch Halloween 78 every Halloween. And this year, I absolutely will not. Yeah, you know, I 
I'm not surprised because the the biggest reason I'm watching it this year, or at least the first three, is because this is the first year I actually own the 4Ks of the first three. So yeah, it's like I have to I have to do it. Like even if I throw it on and like I have to get up or something, it's like I can't not throw that 4K on. <laughs> I just, I'm so excited to see it. So oh, I've had, I mean, um, I had the first 4K release uh, from a couple of years ago, so I've already had 4K Halloween here for a bit. Okay, um, yeah. I didn't. I, I didn't get the Scream Factory one. I've already got the uh, the Lionsgate release. I'm good. Cool. Yeah, my Halloween is going to be spent with my favorite barrel chested Spaniard, Paul Nashi. So yes! I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I'm using the. Uh, I, I think I'm going to check out uh, the Scream Factory Volume Two because I did Volume One last year. So um, I, I think I'm doing volume two of uh, I, I think maybe I'll throw on something else, but uh, I think that's going to be my plans. Nice. Cool. All right, folks. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. We will catch you, like I said, sometime soon. I'll leave it at that. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, let's say bye to the listeners. Ciao, ciao. <laughs> be safe and check your candy, folks. Oh, watch those eclipses. (laughs) Or avoid the eclipses, one or the other. (laughs)